Hey, everybody. It's me, Ken. I use she and him pronouns. Uh, and I'm here to talk about clowns. The anime slash manga, Ken Ashra. I am ready to talk about some animorphs. Roma, have you ever heard of the <gasps> art movement of Dadaism? Interest in a musician group called Exociety? It's Yu-Gi-Oh. The brainworm that I would like to deliver to you today is um, Gundam and or Gunpla. I became aware of a series of novels that people told me about called Discworld. Hey, Lewis, what are we talking about? Aragon. Uh, Welcome to the Hyperfixation, where we invite our friends onto our show to tell us about what they're excited about so we can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. New episodes out every Wednesday morning and up to five days early for patrons. Normalize info dumping and learn something new with us today, thanks to the Moonshot Network. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Blood of Olympus. Uh, how are you doing today, Jane? You know, Jacqueline, sometimes you have one of those days where you are unable to shake the thought that you smell slightly like your dad's girlfriend's breast milk. Yeah, I do have those days sometimes. Uh, <laughs> my yeah. For, for context, uh, earlier today, uh, my my baby sister, technically half sister, because it's my dad's girlfriend. Uh, I was giving her a feed for the first time, like from the bottle. Uh, popped her up over my shoulder to like um, rub her back and burp her, and she proceeded to sick milk all down my back. No. So you've been sort of marinating in it all day. Uh, I mean, I changed my top, but yeah, <laughs> it's just one oh, of those God. things where I'm like, I can't, I can't smell it, but I know that like the particles are there, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, poor Jane. <laughs> On the bright side, my baby sister was very cute. After that, she went to sleep. Yay! What a darling. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm good. I've been in deep clean mode. One that sometimes things get messy, but you know, you clean them up and you, you feel much better about life. That's good. You hit your head really hard off a cabinet. I did hit my head really hard while I was cleaning, and maybe I have a concussion, but maybe I don't. Listeners, uh, please send your well wishes to Jacqueline. Also, if you think you have a concussion, we can stop recording. No, it's not <laughs> affecting my ability in that way, unless it is, and I can't tell. Uh, but I, I think I, I'm Don't worry, good. you always sound like you're concussed when you're recording. It'd be great to hear from you, my friend Jane. <laughs> and, you know, I guess speaking... Uh, these summaries were written pre Actually, I think one of them might have been written post had hit. Well, we'll see then. We'll see if there's like a noticeable like change. Chapter 37. Reyna. Right outside Camp Half-Blood, Reyna, Nico, and Coach Hedge are forced to make an emergency landing onto a nearby yacht before Pegasus and his horsies, including Blackjack and Guido, who you'll remember from being the famous horsies we know before, can be shot down by the Roman onagers. Pegasus decides to leave before the fighting begins, since if he died, all other winged horses would die as well. But before he leaves, he lets Reyna know that, though he hasn't shown himself in hundreds of years, he wanted to come help them because he had sensed her true friendship with and compassion for Scipio. 
Uh, shortly after he leaves, they're boarded by Romans, specifically Mike Kahale, a docile daughter of Ceres named Leela, and Dakota the Kool-Aid addict from the fifth cohort. They're here to take Reyna and Nico in, but they're saved by an interruption from a surprise ally, the voice of Octavian. He orders them all to disarm, to Michael Colley's confusion, but he isn't confused for long because he's quickly dispatched by the actual owners of the voice, Tyson the Cyclops and Ella the Harpy. Chapter 38, Reyna. Michael Kahale has been knocked right out, but Leela and Dakota quickly protest that they were actually planning on helping Reyna out because the Legion is actually still pretty split on the whole destroy Camp Half-Blood under the rule of Octavian thing, so Tyson doesn't bonk them too. Uh, it's only an hour and 12 minutes until sunrise begins and Octavian begins his attack, but there's something just as urgent happening. Melly is about to give birth. They decide to all split up. Coach Hedge going to see his wife and tell the campers that the statue is incoming, Nico going to sabotage the onagers while Dakota and Leela try to sway their cohorts, and Reyna taking the statue itself with Blackjack by her side. Everyone departs before Reyna, who takes a minute to compose herself before she leaves, but is caught by surprise as two arrows fly true from the horizon. One hits Blackjack's flank, and the other lands between her feet and begins ticking down. Chapter 39, Reyna. You thought Orion was dead? You wish. He's just pretty fucked up after his encounter with Ia and Thalia, who bloodied him badly enough to force his retreat into the sea. He's been spending all that time swimming towards Reyna's group, preparing for revenge, and now he's set a bomb at her feet that will go off in under five minutes. She knows she'll need the help of a god, so she prays to Bellona and realizes that she's already been given a gift. Bellona wasn't just the goddess of war, but also of peace treaties. She has exactly what she needs already. To Orion's surprise, Reyna throws her knife, stabbing right into his chest as she simultaneously drops over the bomb to try and contain the explosion so Blackjack doesn't get hurt sacrificing herself. But when the timer ends, the explosion doesn't even hurt her. She cautiously stands up and finds that Athena, embodied through the Athena Parthenos, has finally spoken, transforming her cape into the protective cloak of Aegis, the gift. Orion roars in rage and tries to fire an arrow at her, but time seems to move in slow motion and she easily dodges and weaves around to his back, where she wraps the cloak around his neck and strangles him to death, for all the girls he's killed. Chapter 40, Reyna. Before dawn breaks and the war begins, Reyna decides she must do what she wasn't able to do before and save the Pegasus who stood by her side. She gets to work pulling the arrow out of Blackjack's flank and nursing him back to health with a unicorn draught and a healing potion while applying pressure to the wound. She can't finish the job on her own, though. She'll need help from Camp Half-Blood. For a moment, as the sun finally rises, she wonders if maybe Octavian changed his mind, decided not to attack. But... Not even a moment after she can think that, the sky lights up with fire as the onagers are deployed. So Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? Uh, these were some pretty good chapters, I think. I also think they're maybe uh, emblematic of a bit of a problem with this book, which is that it doesn't really have the space to focus a lot on Raina and Nico's deal. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of agree. Um, I... <laughs> I want to hear more of your thoughts on that. I, I also enjoyed these, but I did find myself sort of thinking like, is this is this where Reyna's arc ends? Is this sort of the big culmination? Because it doesn't quite feel... It kind of feels like, okay, here here's her deal, and it's over, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, especially with Orion, I feel, I'm reading the way that this ends for him, and I'm like, is that it? For sure, that, yeah. He's, he's shown up twice, and the second time he dies. Right, right. And 
We get some interesting Nico information here. I'll just go over it really quickly because it's like a sentence. But we we learned that like he has now gotten the power to like he can both sense the exact presence of any mortals around and also control their dreams. This is very strange Nico information, which yeah, hasn't really had a lot of set up. So he's just sort of i guess he's leveled up i i don't really know what the deal is there but <laughs> power he's, of friendship he's, it's the power of friendship it's the power of not dying that coach hedge gave him <laughs> uh you know what else is weird in these chapters what's that pegasus giving uh reyna the title of like horse friend i thought that was sweet i think it's kind of sweet i also think uh reyna is not a horse friend how so she rode her pegasus until it died and then had to put it down and i'm like she she had to do that obviously like that's you know i'm not questioning the necessity of that uh i am questioning whether or not you know i kind of part of it was that she had to sacrifice this bond with her friend and sacrifice being nice to her friend for this so it's weird to me that she gets to be called horse friend after that it sort of reframes it right it makes Mm. it more it makes it less that she had to like sacrifice her friend and more that her friend, like they both agreed to do this, I guess. And that she like, uh, was there to help him the whole way because she was like extending his life force, like using her powers, uh, and then gave him a quick death, which makes it like, it's sort of putting this as more like they were equals on the field of battle. Right. I guess I just don't really buy that. If that is what it's going for. Totally. I, like I, I enjoy, pegasus giving her the nod being like hey you're a you're a you're one of the good ones <laughs> oh coach Hedge fucking dabbing at his eyes with a little napkin but i it's i i, I don't know hey speaking of pegasi blackjack and guido are fucking here they're, they're here no pork pie unfortunately pork pie nation has been left disappointed yeah i will be honest i forgot entirely about guido but i i remembered Pegasus, I remembered, uh, uh, I remember Pork Pie, Guido, not so much. Yeah, no, I I remember Blackjack because Percy fucking stole him from Luke. (laughs) Yeah, I I meant to say Blackjack and not Pegasus, but, uh, uh, what's the, what the fuck is the hierarchy of the Pegasus world here? Because, like, Pegasus is basically a god, right? He's a half, he's a demigod, essentially. Yeah, he's, he's like the, the god of horses. He's the horsey god. So... How did Blackjack and Guido, of all people, manage to, like, uh, become his right-hand men? I mean, I guess there's not that many Pegasi. Maybe there's, like, not a huge amount to choose from. I mean, Blackjack's a real one. He, he you know, pro- proved himself fighting alongside Percy in several battles. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he's he's probably... Do you think Blackjack has, like, his own book series that's, like... Like, <laughs> where he is the fucking, like, teenage hero? And Percy is like a side character who like occasionally shows up in cameos. He shows up to quip like Blackjack does here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. I because it's interesting. This is the, is it feels like this is the first time we've like seen Blackjack without Percy around. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really and, show up without Percy. And it's so weird to not hear him like not hear percy translating for him or like understanding him so mm. we just get him as like a normal horse basically we get him as a normal horse except for one point where he does seem to actually speak and when he's like 
he's basically dying and he's like, I want donuts. And Raina is like convinced that she's hallucinating. Yeah, she's like, I've, you know, I just took an explosion to the head. I. <laughs> it's like Rick Riordan manages to get in some of his personality because he like, there's a part where Nico like forgets that he's there. So he like whinnies and licks the side of Nico's face, <laughs> uh, which is the kind of like, that's like Blackjack sort of cantankerous personality. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's not worried about being sent to the fucking shadow realm by this child of Hades. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Um, but he also he's a bit kinder than we ever than we've really seen him before. Like he's really there for Reyna in a way. Yeah, I guess I guess it might be like the horse friend thing. He might also just have mellowed out since uh, you know he's he's he got rescued from Luke's captivity and then was pitched straight into a war with the Titans. I guess he's had like a year off to just like chill. It's fair, yeah. Also, maybe he's cursing at Raina constantly. We just can't hear it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. She's, like, letting herself cry over fucking the fact that she had to kill Scipio. And, like, she's like, oh, Blackjack is here to comfort me. But really, he's like, hey, it's kind of fucked up that you made the horse go do that with you. Blackjack's like, you asshole. You murdered him. How can you live I, with I yourself? I hate you. <laughs> As she, I guess she proves herself to him by saying... The entire last chapter being dedicated to her saving Blackjack is actually really cool to me. Yeah, that feels that feels good. I, I almost actually I almost kind of wish that like her killing Scipio was like taken as a knock against her from the other Pegasi. Uh huh. And then she kind of like she she proves herself and is like, no, I I didn't do that because I don't care about Pegasi. I did it because it was a hard sacrifice, and I will prove it now by going out of my way to save Blackjack. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like maybe she does still have some, like, she has those lingering feelings still, right? Mm, yeah, she, definitely. She thinks, like, I didn't do enough, I could have done better. Like, she blames herself for Scipio's death. It just seems like the other Pegasi, like, don't. Pegasi um, don't really seem to give a shit. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is really funny, as after we learned that apparently Pegasus himself has, like, a connected life force so presumably he felt it when scipio died at least a little bit (laughs) but that means that like this act of her taking a whole chapter which you know it's a that is a meaningful narrative unit in a way Mm -hmm. um to just like step by step go through try to figure out the most humane way to pull this arrow out like which is a pretty gruesomely described actually uh yeah, I mean, that's the educational dimension of these books, is if uh, if you're a kid and your horse gets shot by an arrow, this book teaches you how to get it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have... Thank you, Charlie. Uh, uni- What's that? Charlie coughed very loudly while I was talking. Charlie. If you have unicorn drought, just make sure to bring it whenever you go on a horse ride. Drought? Draught? Draft. What? It's that, that, that word is pronounced draft. Is it? Yeah. Wait a second. Is it really? It really is. I'm not fucking with you. I was actually kind of taken aback when you pronounced it draw during the summaries. It's draft. This is a British spelling of draft? What the fuck? <laughs> Wait. Is this a localization difference? Wait, I... I think I'm... I'm going to be reading a British copy as the thing. So, I... Wait a second. Draft. It is like it's pronounced draft, but it like you know it has a very meaningful difference to like the other draft, which is like a draft of a book or something. It's like draft in this context is like a potion. 
but I've heard draft used that way before. So I, I knew that. I just never connected it to the spelling before. I, and I've seen this in like fucking Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Ah, uh, I see. So I guess I just didn't, I, I guess I never connected the two. Wow. Sorry, everyone. It's the unicorn <laughs> draft. This happens to the best of us. When I was a kid, I was very confused about why everybody in a book seemed to keep all their crockery and cupboards. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> Oh god yeah makes sense to me i i i feel like there's a million of these that you could talk about right like uh-huh. <laughs> everyone has a bajillion different instances of like words that they didn't understand how to say i i guess sometimes instead of like middle school or high school or elementary school or whatever you learn that when you're 24 years old or recording a podcast and reading a book for middle schoolers uh-huh <laughs> Do you think in the unicorn versus Pegasus wars, the unicorn, the unicorns would start a draft? <laughs> I, hmm, I guess they'd have to. There's not a lot of them, so you kind of need that compulsory military service. Yeah, I suppose so. Which is I, really they, fucked. I guess they would also win that war because, like, you know, you've got a monopoly on the unicorn draft. True. You just cut off supplies to your enemies until they start hunting you. Well. They it, once the once the Pegasus understand the way to cut off their supply lines, you you'll be in a unicorn draught. So, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Fuck this. Uh, <laughs> the, why are there wild centaurs? What does that mean? Uh, I Rick Rick Ryden once again slipping in. Uh, civilization equals good. Uncivilized equals evil. They're savages. <laughs> They're yeah. Like I, I guess my big thing here because we've talked a little bit about this before, is that it's not even that there can be wild centaurs. That's not the thing. I think it's the idea of there being domesticated centaurs that's actually kind of sending me. Like, <laughs> is Chiron a domesticated centaur? Uh, yeah, he plays Pinochle and eats sugar cubes. I guess he is. <laughs> he plays Mario Party. I feel like he wouldn't appreciate being called that, though. <laughs> well, no, he'd call himself civilized. <laughs> of course he would. God, that's where this—that's where this whole fucking podcast began, huh? I it sure is. It'd be nice if Rick uh, could stop bringing it up, so we didn't have to talk about it. Lord in heaven. <laughs> Speaking of weird animal facts. Uh-huh. Michael, Cah- Michael Michael Kahale has a tattoo of a dove on his arm, um, and Rita describes it as looking more like a bird of prey. How do you do that? Uh, I guess because the the book also talks about like how huge his muscles are, so maybe uh-huh. it is like a dove design. But like when he flexes, it kind of gets all hunched over and looks like a bird of prey. I guess so. That's cool, right? <laughs> but doves. It might are also like- just been a shit tattoo artist. A dove is a pigeon, like the world's <laughs> least scary animal. I truly don't. I, I'm trying to imagine one looking fearsome, and it's really funny. Wait, is a pigeon a dove? What do you? You didn't is, know that? Are they the same thing? Yeah, doves are pigeons. Okay, now it's my turn to incredulously look something up. Pigeons equal doves, yeah. Rock dove, yeah, that's a pigeon. Uh, doves, pigeons. Huh. Yep. I just kind of always assumed they were different animals, but apparently they are very closely related. 
this is a very no i mean pigeons are literally a type of dove uh yeah. it's important because people don't realize this they think of pigeons as like they're like city rats or they're rats with wings they're literally like the the pigeons you see in cities have all been like domesticated uh they're all domesticated birds that have been like let loose into the wild um so like you get you get these animals that in the wild are supposed to live on top of like huge mountains basically on like cliff mm. faces um and they're all being given like they're because people aren't taking them in like they're supposed to be uh because people are like we don't need pigeons anymore for male uh they basically like are living like lifespans that are like a third as long as they should be in the wild that's fucked <laughs> And the reason pigeons are like people are always like, oh, pigeon poop, it's disgusting. It's because they're they're full. pigeon poop is actually pretty highly coveted usually when it, but like these quote unquote like these wild pigeons that people have in cities are actually like full of parasites that they should not be having because they don't have proper nutrition and it's, it's very sad. You see, this is kind of a, this is like a fucked up cultural thing, I think, because. Yeah. Pigeons, like, they're not viewed as, like, you know, uh, cool cool animals that you want to, like, touch and pick up and, like, rub against your eye or something over here. But they are definitely not viewed as, like, rats with wings. Uh, and that is entirely because um, that, that niche has been filled by seagulls. Okay, Which have, yeah. like, started moving inland more and more. And so pigeons are kind of, like, pigeons are kind of, like, the, the nicer birds that you kind of you want to protect you don't want to feed gulls when they're around but you can feed pigeons you should feed pigeons i yeah. god yeah they my final word on pigeons if you're ever like i'm going to get a bird what bird should i get you should get a pigeon because a lot of the other like you you shouldn't go for a parrot you shouldn't go for any of those guys the fact is those things are gonna like outlive you probably uh they they live so fucking long and also wait what are do you know how long parrots live? Jacqueline, you have so many interesting bird facts today. I thought the parrots lived like a couple of years. Parrots can live to 50 years. What the sometimes, fuck? Sometimes parrots can live for 80 years. Holy shit. Yeah, and also you are they are really not like domesticated or anything. You're really not supposed to keep them. Uh, yeah, and you know, the worst part is like if you get one, you're gonna name it after your like former lost love slash captain <laughs> and kind of keep it around as a constant reminder of the influence he has over your life. Patreon.com slash on wise girls if you want to listen to us talk about Treasure Island. Captain Flint the parrot is gonna fucking outlive Long John Silver. <laughs> and that's oh, that God, really that's very ha- possible. That has like some interesting thematic shit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, but yeah, get get a pigeon, not a parrot. Um so Uh I don't think Dakota and that other person were actually planning to side with Raina. I think that's <laughs> <No>. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like, as soon as as soon as the, the guy, the big beefy guy who was protecting them goes down, like, oh no, we were totally planning to portray him this whole time and switch back over to your side. Uh and you know, the book never confirms or denies whether that's actually true. It never gives you like a concrete uh, piece of evidence either way on that. I think it's bullshit. It, it must be. Like the thing is here, Michael Kahale looks is like the scariest guy in the world. Like he's he's uh-huh. nice, right? But also, Coach Hedge comes and like tries to hit him with his baseball bat, and he simply grabs it out of Hedge's hands and snaps it over his knee. <laughs> The fucking all the monsters in the world could not have done this, but apparently Michael Kahale can. 
Well, I mean, apparently it's an immortal baseball bat because Coach Head also cracked it in half over Orion's head earlier and it just repaired itself. Maybe he just has a lot of these. <laughs> That's, he's the coach. He's the coach. He has a lot of them. That's true. That's so true. Uh, Tyson coming. And obviously afterwards they follow the next scariest guy in the room who's Tyson. Tyson. I, I love the little like the little callback of Tyson being able to imitate people's voices. Good thing Annabeth isn't here. Annabeth's over her uh, Cyclops racism, I think. I I still feel like she probably has a little bit of the latent like Cyclops using other people's voices, like freaks the shit out of her. That probably yeah, that makes sense. But I do like some, like you know that was one of the things early on with Tyson that was like, you know, that was one of the reasons he was mistrusted, kind of seen as a bit of an outsider and a freak even at Camp Half Blood, and now he just kind of is casually using that to come in and save the day. I I really like that. Also, leading up, Rick Riordan doing just the cute little wink there with uh, Reina being like, the only person who could beat Michael Kahale, you need to be an ogre or, and then getting cut off by Octavian's voice. Uh, <laughs> that That's, I like that. I like that bit. Yeah, it's it's good. Speaking of speaking of Reina and like her being arrested and stuff, I'm, I'm a little confused on this point. Uh, she claims that she's still a Praetor and the Legion should still be loyal to her. I thought that uh, she gave up being Praetor when she like went to Europe. Yeah, so I kind of thought so too. I guess what she's saying here is that like, actually it was fine that she did that. <laughs> because <laughs> Cause Jason is like, well, I can't really go back to Camp Jupiter because I gave up my Praetorship. But, well, okay, let's, let's break this down, I guess. Jason gave up his Praetorship by giving it to Frank. That's and true. And Frank, Frank went to the Mediterranean. Um, and Reyna, I guess maybe there's a difference between like, I'm breaking the ancient laws and I'm giving up my praetorship. Maybe that's what we're supposed to see here. Mm. Maybe uh, it's like you're but, not allowed to be a praetor while you're in the ancient lands. But Frank became a praetor while he was in the ancient lands. Well, you're not allowed to be a Camp Jupiter praetor. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. It's, it's the, it's the, uh, like inside camp politics. Uh-huh. You can still be a normal Roman praetor while you're in Europe, and we know this because historically there were quite a few of those. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> oh man, I yeah, I I don't super buy their whole thing because I don't. It's it's really easy to be like, yeah, we've we've been sort of against the idea of destroying every single Greek demigod. Like you know that kind of rubbed us the wrong way. Um, <laughs> I something about like bringing back dakota here is just very funny to me i think like, the problem is that we spent so little time at camp jupiter that we really don't have a lot of characters we give a fuck about fleshed out there so we have to bring yeah. back dakota yeah we should have gotten more uh like fifth cohort characters fleshed out at least or yeah. like because like the only big camp jupiter characters we got other than our sort of point of view characters uh well pre previously point of view characters were reyna and octavian yeah, uh, there was all, there was like the one ghost guy who was just kind of an asshole, uh, and Terminus, and that's it, as far as I can remember. So I this is this is us going back to the fucking well. We needed Son of Neptune to just be a full book of like inside of Camp Jupiter. <laughs> I can't believe Camp Jupiter is like the consequence of that book is still fucking up this series three books later. 
It really is. And I I simply think that Rick Riordan should have gone back and been like, you know what? This would have been better. <laughs> Actually changing the whole uh, story really fast, BRV. <laughs> Just simply rewrite the entire Heroes of Olympus series, Rick. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> uh, I think that the ticking clock, uh, like the, the bomb arrow is a sick cliffhanger. It's it's a sick cliffhanger. Rick Ryden can't fucking help himself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clocks within clocks within ticking clocks here. It's his favorite move in a really funny way, because this is the most literal it's ever been, I guess. It's like, a ticking clock while we're also ticking down to Gaia rising and also ticking down to the attack on Camp Arflet starting. It's like... We've been we've been using the specific phrase ticking clock since like episode three. <laughs> and it's been like one of the big themes of the show is us just like fucking checking our watches. <laughs> so I I'm really kind of happy to see it. It's manifest by the worst motherfucker in this whole book. <laughs> uh you know what? I wish he was worse. I wish we got more of him and more of him being the worst. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Cause he's because he's he's cool. Mm-hmm. He's like one of the only good giants we've gotten as a villain. But I can't believe we only got two encounters with this guy, and because and we could have at least had three if he hadn't been like, if he hadn't uh, had uh, that fucking werewolf guy acting as his proxy that one time. Yeah. Who gives a shit about that guy? I've already forgotten his name. Yeah, fucking lupus. I don't know. Uh, it's. Like like Lycanthus, who cares? <laughs> Orion is actually an interesting villain for the most part. Like Rick Riordan is trying to say something here about like, I don't know, patriarchy, men, uh, like sexual, like uh, like a sense of like women belonging to you, and the patriarchy's the- bad unless you're in an arranged marriage. In which case, deal with it. <laughs> in which case, yeah, uh, <laughs> simply love your husband more, and. Like, I I looked into Orion a bit more, like, uh, after a, uh, I think a a fucking crossword came up or something. Uh, (laughs) No, no, it was a, uh, it was, I was reading a Wonder Woman comic and Orion came Ah. up in it. And I, I think I did, like, didn't know a lot about this guy. I didn't realize that this is sort of like him being an incel seems to be Rick Riordan translating him. A prominent part of his story in the myth is that he, like, raped someone. Oh, boy. Uh, And so that's sort of what, rick riordan is trying to get at here i guess thematically it kind of works but he just has been in the book so little yeah i like i like the idea of this conflict between him and reyna it's just not really it it's it's a good idea for a conflict it just doesn't feel rooted in either of their characters really just because they've interacted so little and i think that goes to the broader problem you were talking about earlier with like reyna just hasn't had enough time I think we've only had three sets of Reina chapters, including these. We didn't even, like, like what was going on with her until the last one we got. <laughs> a, her, like, her deal wasn't really established until the second set. And so it being wrapped up here, especially in this conflict with, with Orion, is kind of confusing because Riordan's trying to do sort of two different things with this fight, I feel like. Yeah. One is the, like, I'm getting revenge for all the girls you've ever hurt, right? Yeah. I'm doing this for women everywhere. Yeah. The the big sort of quasi-feminist move. Mm-hmm. And the other one is that he's trying to sort of finish up her, I guess, lack of self, 
uh, worth or self-confidence about her decisions to uh, like support Camp Half-Blood and do what she's been doing. Mm -hmm. But the problem is it feels like she already made that big decision and hasn't actually been super torn up about it. Yeah, she she made the big decision in um, fucking... I think it was Mark of Athena where she ditched the Legion and started flying out to uh, meet them. Like this, this she she already made the, like this huge commitment to doing that, which I guess would be and it would be fine to like explore that more if we'd had some time with her to like deal with her being like maybe this was a horrible mistake that I made, but we haven't had that. Largely, the structure of this book where it's like one set of the main Heat crew, one set of the other crew, it's worked. Um, I think it's really sort of done. Uh, because Reyna has had so little time, uh, I, I really think it's just done her dirty a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the problem is that it, like jumping around as much as it is is fine for established characters who we had for a couple of books, and even for Nico, who's been a background character for a while. Uh, but Reyna is just like, so much of this is like her really coming into the spotlight as a character for the first time, and she just doesn't have enough time to like get like the attention she needs for this to really work. I, and this is why I'm always saying I, I like that Rick Riordan experiments with structure. I like that. And it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think we're, it's pretty much always an improvement when he does, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I, I am not super satisfied with where we landed with how much Reina we've gotten. I think we could have done with like, maybe instead of like Percy, Nico, uh, Jason, Reina, uh, Annabeth, you know, instead of that kind of thing, I wish we gotten like a, you know, Percy, Nico, Reyna, Reyna, like maybe a couple sets for, you know, like, yeah, you don't have to go so strict with it, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, definitely. But it, the fight's cool. The fight is cool. I do, I do like, I do like her just fucking strangling him to death. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's raw as fuck. Uh, what do you think of the, the Athena Parthenos like talking and gra- like doing some shit for the first time? Uh, I feel like this is maybe like this is a, a bigger moment than the story is really like um, like allowing it to be, if that makes sense. Like it's not really it's not remarking it as much as I think it is because we know that Athena fucking despises the Greeks. Like the the only the time she showed the Romans. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Uh, the only time she's shown up in this series was in Mark of Athena to tell Annabeth, hey, fuck these guys. Uh, they're the worst. Uh, get, get revenge on them for me. And so I feel like Athena like bestowing a blessing on the Roman praetor, like that it, it should it should have been like noted that like, wow, this is a really big thing. This is a big show of trust in me. But I don't know, maybe that'll come up later. But it feels weird that that did that didn't that wasn't mentioned. I completely agree because there's a very like literal thing happening here where she's been lugging this thing around the entire book. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't, there's no conception here of like, there's very little conception of either side of it. Um, they haven't had like the ongoing relationship, right? Like Athena hasn't been whispering in her ear the whole time with like little mean words or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Even just something like Reyna looking at the statue one time and looking at, like, I don't know how mean Athena looks or something. I mean, like, I wonder if she's, like, screwing up a face at me because I'm a Roman and she hates Romans. I wonder if that means that this peace treaty can work. Maybe I made a terrible mistake. That would have been good. And <laughs> we haven't gotten a lot of Reyna's feelings on that either. Yeah. So I... This this comes off... Like, I, I like some bits of it. I like this sort of, like, Reyna coming to the... 
I guess the realization that the the other side of war is peace, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which is a bit, you know, it's I I guess that's true. Um, and sort of realizing that like the thing that she has been doing was to bring peace and not war, and that is her power. Blah blah blah. Um, I I I do just wish we'd gone into it a bit more. Yeah, I just I just wish we'd had more Reina. We do get a, a series title drop though. <laughs> We do get we, a series title drop. Reyna is officially declared the hero of Olympus. And she's the only one. Everyone else can suck it. <laughs> Turns out that she was that's, the title character of this series all along. That's fine, I guess. <laughs> I uh, Honestly, I I like her well enough for like the the things she's had to say that, sure, she's... she's I, maybe they just say a hero of Olympus, but she gets to that spot. I think right? it's a hero of Olympus is what they say, but nobody else has gotten that designation. So, yeah, I wait. No, it's yeah, it's seven half bloods must answer the call. It's not seven heroes of Olympus must answer the call. Uh-huh. They're not even heroes of Olympus. It's just Reyna. <laughs> maybe it's going to turn out that uh, Reyna and Dakota are the heroes of Olympus. Fucking sure. Why not? <laughs> It could be Reyna and Nika. Honestly, if it was Reyna and Nika, I'd be happy. That would kind of rule, actually. And Coach Edge, too. Yeah, yeah. They get their matching tattoos. <laughs> oh, man. They all get Heroes of Olympus tattooed on them. <laughs> Done in, like, the title font from the books. <laughs> I Who does the tattoos at Camp Jupiter? Because Michael Kahale has a dove tattoo... I know that some of them just appear magically on you, but is that really what that is? Is that one a magical one too? Or do they have like a, does new Rome have like a tattoo parlor? I, they mentioned that uh, Dakota is always like quite jumpy and shaky because he's so hopped up on sugar from his Kool-Aid. So I think it would make sense if the tattoos come out looking like shit because he can't stop shaking while he's trying to draw them. Oh God. You're (laughs) saying that Dakota is the fucking tattoo artist. Exactly. Oh my god. I I don't hate that. I feel like there is a <laughs> genre of boy who is addicted to Kool-Aid. Uh, he's like, he's, got, he's ta- got a biro and a lighter and he's like, look, look, bro, let me tattoo you. It's going to look awesome. And then it does not look awesome. Yeah, who grows up to have like a like not quite legal. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I have an Instagram set up. You can look at my stuff. Uh, I, I do tattoos. Don't tell the IRS that I do tattoos, <laughs> but I do tattoos. It's just kind of a hobby thing, you know? Yeah, it's sanitary. Yeah, it's sanitary. I, I, I sterilized it. Don't worry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I did this biro in the, some rubbing alcohol before we started. God. Uh, and... Uh, Reyna does the big, like, self-sacrifice thing here, where Mm -hmm. she, like, it's not even that she thinks, like, okay, I have Athena's gift before she jumps on the bomb. She's literally like, okay, I'll die. Guess I'll die. This is one of those things that makes me uh, wonder if maybe some rearrangement of the parties would have been good. I think it would have been kind of funny if Frank was watching this. Why is that? (laughs) Because... Oh, okay. Yeah, I... I (laughs) Don't make me say it. I do need Frank... You know what? I won't make you say it, but I agree with you, and I think you're right. <laughs> I think Frank should have to. Frank should have to like go through a whole series of like BoJack Horseman style, like in his own brain, uh, coming to grips with this. While Reyna is just like, I think I'm fine, actually. <laughs> actually, maybe it's not so hard to survive an explosion. 
that's kind of a skill issue i think if you've died from doing something like this you just kind of suck which it's really funny that we're going back to this after we were talking about the comparisons between frank's mom and reina's dad oh yeah speaking her dad comes up i think twice here i think in this chapter specifically Mm -hmm. um one of which is like she gets this sort of memory of him being like you're you know like you're one of our family you you should always be vigilant never trust anyone uh always always stick to your home base that kind of thing yeah yeah um and that's part of her big decision of like no i am siding with the greeks uh, which i've only just deciding right now after i've brought the whole peace uh statue to them <laughs> uh and the other is when she says um when she decides not to take any loot from defeating orion and says like her father's mania and all the other angry ghosts of her past, Orion could teach her nothing. He deserved to be forgotten. That's re- What do we think about that like specific line? I don't know that I have a lot of thoughts on it because it feels kind of just like rote. Yeah. It just feels like th- this is this is the conclusion to an arc about overcoming past traumas. I don't it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't feel personal to Reyna or really tied into anything that she's been like having trouble with in this book. It doesn't. And that's the thing is like, I think it, it serves its purpose, but it makes me question like, what does the past offer to these characters? Like what Mm -hmm. of memory? You know what I mean? Like Reyna is the fucking, the, the praetor of like the rump state of the Roman empire. (laughs) That's the thing. This is a book that is all about fetishizing the past and history. Uh-huh. Um, and there is a sort of fundamental thematic mismatch when you have a character who says, um, well, what she's saying here is that the bad past, right? The crazy past, uh, all that <laughs> deserves to be forgotten and the glorious past deserves to you know, remain eternal uh, is sort of what you can draw from this. And there's there's not really any indication of like the the interesting thing that you could do with that, where you talk about well, her dad like went insane because he was dedicated to military glory and the glory of Rome, and like maybe that means that like Rome isn't this unambiguous good, but we don't we don't even gesture at that idea in these chapters. And at the same time, we get characters like Hazel, who are the past, who are mm-hmm. memory, right? That's her whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and like. Yeah, I I think that this book sort of does itself a disservice by not digging deeper into those themes because, uh, yeah, I don't know. They seem so fundamental to the core idea of the series. It really, I I think as as we get into the back half of this book, it is starting to feel like we're just kind of rushing towards a conclusion. And as a result of that, a lot of like interesting thematic stuff is being kind of left on the table. Right. Right. And I'm in, I've, I want to repeat, I've enjoyed everything I've read for the most part from this book. I think it's a a killer finale so far. Yeah, it's pretty good. But because like, I think it it might just be the weak first half, honestly. Like, I I think that there's not a big support structure here for like, what is the heroes of Olympus? We didn't have a super firm establishing ground. We got, there were aspects we really liked about both of those books. Uh, but they, I think they faltered in establishing like, what is the message of the series? What are we going for here in a way that, uh, the first series really didn't like, yeah, we knew from book one what Camp Half-Blood's deal was. We knew about the all these... Percy was a troubled kid. It's all about troubled kids uh, and where they can find, like, community and... Absentee uh, parents really, and shitty schooling and that kind of stuff. It's kind of all there. And I feel like we've had to sort of... 
we're having to sort of decipher in real time. Like, okay, I, and, you know, that's part of reading a text, but still it's, what is the point of the heroes of Olympus? The, the, I, I keep coming back to this, I guess. I don't it know. It doesn't feel like more obscure than um, like the PGO books because it's like more sophisticated or has like a, a bigger kind of more complex thing to say. It just feels like there is less of a message and it's being conveyed worse. Right. Yeah. And I think you can point to something like the Kane Chronicles. Um, we're often doing which, this for various often reasons, doing, often negative. Of course. But even the Kane Chronicles like had a persistent message about like family and understanding what like reevaluating your own memories and like uh just like coming to grip coming to grips with like coming to grips with the past i guess like that, that is kind of what the Kane Chronicles is about cycle like it, that 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 series like is very concerned with like cycles of history and like how to like break them and not repeat them yeah and that you know that's one of the things that comes up in the finale when the egyptian gods have to like fuck off forever basically and you know as as big as the problems we have with king chronicles are i don't think the heroes of olympus has even managed to do that in terms of like tying its any kind of themes it has into like the broader plot yeah and so as we're coming to the the latter days of the blood of Olympus. I think the question I want to keep in mind going forward is just like, we're getting a lot of good character arcs. We're getting, we're getting mm. a lot of good like interactions. This is a very, this is a fun book to read. What does it have to offer to me? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, I, also on, on the, on the subject of King Chronicles, it's probably not a great sign that we have done the thing that we always did when King Chronicles was frustrating us, which is that we start dissecting the series instead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which I don't even feel as frustrated as I ever did with Kane Chronicles. I don't think. No, this 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 series definitely has higher and more consistent highs than Kane Chronicles for sure. Which I think is pulling us through what might like if this had been. I, I don't want to say like if this was written worse, it would be like Kane Chronicles because that's a nonsense statement, right? <laughs> um. I mean, it, but, it, I, it's not really a nonsense statement. When Rick Ryden is writing bad stuff, he turns out something like Game Chronicles. Yeah. I I guess it, I don't want to dissect it or anything, but I just want to put that flag up and just say, like, we figure, we, we, we want to understand what the Heroes of Olympus is about because I think Rick Ryden is that type of writer. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess let's keep an eye out. Anything else you want to talk about today, Jane? Uh, Thali is still alive. That's that, that's another thing that comes up in these chapters. Man, we were so convinced that she was going to like go with the gang, and then she just didn't. Yeah, we're in a complete dearth of Thalia content. I because we thought she was going to like reunite with Jason or something, or like Annabeth, and none of that's really happened. If we get to the end of this book and Jason is like, I'm going to be living at Camp Half-Blood now and he doesn't fucking talk to Thalia, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I would go absolutely bananas. That had better be like the main plot of Trials of Apollo or something. <laughs> it's, uh, I, the problem is, Jane, it's called the Trials of Apollo. I really don't think it will be. It probably won't be. <laughs> Although... Apollo and Thalia would be an interesting combination for a crew. Uh, yeah, I guess they would be. Yeah, they've got kind of that um, kind of inbuilt relationship just because like Thalia works for Artemis. They probably like 
see a, a decent, uh, more of each other than most demigods do gods. And uh, their personalities sort of like, I feel like they would bounce off of each other in an interesting way. Yeah, I think so. I think they, they would like, they would have like jokey banter about music would be their thing. It's like Thali's mm-hmm. really into punk and uh, Apollo listens to everything except rap and country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Thalia is the is like a really big fan of country rap. Is that? No, no. I just the, the this is like the I don't listen to a lot of music. What I've heard is like the absolute like most boring basic bitch music opinion is I listen to everything except rap and country. No, you're right. You're this right. This is just me regurgitating I, things I've heard. Jane, I really. I've, I think I've said before to you, like, oh, I know you don't like music. And you always say, no, I do like music. You just don't listen to it. Uh, I listen I listen to, like, video game soundtracks. You're so valid for that. <laughs> I, Apollo could never comprehend video game soundtracks. This is, yeah, this is true. Well, no, Apollo has a game. He sent out a game pad for Rachel Elizabeth Dare. That's true. I think Apollo has the Undertale soundtrack on the iPod. You're right. You're right. He he's the god of all music, not just like, you know, mainstream quote unquote music or whatever. He'll play he'll play Fallen Down while he's getting kicked off of Olympus. He'll play Megalovania in the background of uh everyone trying to kill Gaia. <laughs> he'll play it on the Valdezinator. Oh god, please. <laughs> Alright. I think that'll do it for us today. I think so. You, uh not so set. Not so set. Uh Options are limited. I don't know who the fuck Leela is. I guess she can be. I guess she can be anything. <laughs> I. <laughs> I don't know. I. But that almost makes me bored. I don't like. I don't know. I want to find something real here. Yeah, yeah. We 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 got to pick up on a vibe. Is how this works. I feel like Dakota could be like unhinged, like trans boy teenager. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see that. My pick is Orion. Repressed queer person uh, falling down like an alt right incel pipeline and ended up being just like an an awful shithead who hates themselves and the world around them. That that many such cases this happens. There certainly are. <laughs> I very sad stuff there. <laughs> I I think that'll do it for us. Uh, our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera uh, at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. Uh, I was recently on a Mario murder mystery stream. So if you want to see me playing Princess Peach, you can go and find that at moonshot.mov. Uh, the VOD should still be up, at least at the time that this comes out. Uh, or else uh, on our YouTube channel. I do want to see you play Princess Peach. I should look that up on the, the VOD channel. You should do that. Also, the way to find us would be going to twitter.com, cohost.com, tumblr.com, slash unwisegirls. Uh, we've got links to our socials, to uh, our Discord channel, to our various, various things, uh, including our email as well. We've got posts when episodes come out, and we've got visual companions when necessary. We also, you know, we'll, we'll give you updates. You'll, if you want to know the updates, go there. If you want to support us, you can go leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us, or you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. 
if you want some uh, interesting and unique bonus content, uh, you can listen to our bonus show, Nature of the Pods, the only podcast on the internet about how the Homestuck epilogues are good, actually. That might be true. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect our elders or anything by saying that because I'm, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's one old ass Homestuck podcast. By by old ass, I mean like 2016 because I think that's that's when people started actually doing Homestuck podcasts. They, they definitely uh, were not making podcasts about the epilogues in 2016. I, well, <laughs> fucking for five dollars a month, you can go to the Discord role of uh, Venus's chosen all of our bonus content and also. Uh, a special thank you at the end of every episode. So, speaking of which, this week we like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, and Bree. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say at the end of every single episode, see you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye. Hello, <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier, delivering mail and space, one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, Please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box.